If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Welcome back, rappers. It's so good to be with you again today. Um, it's kind of a unique opportunity that I have for this podcast in that I um, occasionally I'm very organized, but occasionally I will slip up and forget to record something or uh, forget to deliver something. And that has happened here with this particular series on prayer. Now, if you've listened to the previous uh, three podcasts, you know that uh, at Somerdale Church Christ, we were doing a series on prayer and how it's a way to unlock the power of God. Uh, we focused on what Jesus says about prayer, what Jesus did in his prayer life, his, his posture, his words, his, um, you know, his intent behind the prayers that he gives in the New Testament. And so along with that, we have been in the middle of John 17. And so as we've studied through John 17, I did two particular lessons on the first and the middle section. And, and then the third section was supposed to be verses 20 through 26. And um, just to kind of give you, um, bring you up to date, the first little section of John 17, Jesus is praying for himself. He's praying for his mission. He's praying for the work that's going to be done very shortly. The second section, which picks up at verse 6, which is basically the meat of the prayer, going to verse 19, he prays for his disciples. He prays that they'll be able to complete the work that they've been given. He reminds God, you know, the Father, that, you know, you gave them to me. I have taken care of them. I have tried my best to teach them, except for the son of perdition. They've all been faithful. You know, he goes through this, this thought process of, I know that they're willing to do the work. I know that they're capable of doing the work. I know that they're able-bodied and, uh, you know, give them the time to be able to be successful. And I really love that section. Uh, he, of course, talks about the necessity of truth. And I think that comes down to what he expects them to teach and preach um, in, in comparison to what the world sees. And that that's kind of the section there in the middle part of John 17. But in our uh, studies, we had originally planned on doing a third lesson on the church, uh, Jesus praying for the church, you know, for us today in that last little section. But we ended up having a singing night. Uh, and uh, so I put that lesson off. And then uh, we were out of town for Lads to Leaders. And a couple of the things came up. And because of that, I went right on to Jesus's prayers on the cross and um, which that also did not get recorded. <laughs> but um, I, for whatever reason, just skipped right over that third section. Uh, and so I felt like if we're going to drop them here on the podcast, then we need to go ahead and, and, and tackle those last few verses and, and be able to see really what Jesus's intent was for seeing uh, this 
spiritual uh, endeavor of prayer and what it means to really connect to God. And the reason why I think this this needs to be covered is because it focuses on us. This is where Jesus, in his prayer, as I said earlier, it's a high priestly prayer. In his prayer, he wants to focus not just on the disciples that he's trained, but he also wants to focus on uh, the next generation that will be taught by his apostles. And in that, he's literally praying for us. So let's just read through here, and then I want to kind of pick out a few things as we as we go along. It shouldn't take long, but I just I feel absolutely this is necessary to get the context. So back up at verse 20, reading from the New King James Version, Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone, meaning the disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me uh, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, uh, that the love which was, uh, which was, with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. So, this, uh, I remember the context of the prayer is right before uh, the betrayal of Judas. And so Judas has already departed. That's why Jesus references the son of perdition in the section before. Also, they've just had the Last Supper. This is his moment to, to basically get his mind where it needs to be to accomplish the most important event in human history. And of all the things on Jesus's mind before he went to the cross— he was thinking about you. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. He was thinking about not just his apostles, but the people that would believe the word of the apostles and the testimony that Jesus is, was, is the Christ. And so he wants to make sure that this prayer is an earshot of all of his disciples so they can know that they have a job to do when he dies, when he uh, you know, resurrects and then ascends into heaven. They have a job to do. They have work to be completed. And so he's praying for these. And I, I want you to notice the, the thoughts of it. First of all, verse 20, he says, I pray that you'll be with these, these believers, those who believe on the word through the disciples, those who believe in the truth uh, that is expressed there in that middle section. And so we as believers not only become a follower and, and want to strive to be faithful, but we lead other people to the faith as well. This is that continuing cycle that's described in uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, is that we're supposed to go and teach other people what we've known. And remember that the apostles were going to be given the Holy Spirit miraculously very soon after this event. And Jesus had told them the Holy Spirit would help bring them to remembrance all the things he taught, all the things he'd said. That's why Peter seems so eloquent in Acts 2. It's the reason why every time they go and give speeches, people are like, how can these uneducated men have such boldness and such authority and such knowledge of Scripture. Well, it wasn't just knowledge of Scripture. They learned the message of Jesus, and they were fluent 
and quoting Jesus. And Jesus said, that's going to be the blessing to you and to the church. So the prayer for the believers is anyone who believes continues to teach so that someone else might believe. It's a cycle that goes on. And then in verse 21, he says that he wishes there would be unity among these believers. And that probably is the most fascinating part about how you know, how does, how does the Godhead work? How does the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how does the Trinity work? Whatever term you describe, you know, we, we talk about the Trinity, but the word Trinity is never found in the Bible, but it, it certainly gives a concept to the oneness, the united um, work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they are three in one. How does that unity work? Well, Jesus says that is just part of the equation. Now these believers need to be united just like the Godhead is united. Just like the the um you know the family of God should be united together, the church, one church, one united body. And we're supposed to have this this love and this desire for peace and unity together. And then he says in verse 22 that by doing this, it would bring glory to him. It would bring glory to God. It brings a a new light, if you will, shines a new light on what God has been doing and continues to do. So God is glorified by our actions, by our service, by our work, by our discipleship. And so if we have that unity, it is meant to give him glory and not give glory to us. And that unity that's expressed in verse 21, he says in verse 23, is part of the perfection. Now, I can't help but put my finger here in John 17 and go to Ephesians 5. Because, you know, really the aspect of unity within the church is what leads us to completion or maturity or perfection, if you will. And Paul uses those similar words in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13 is that's what happens when a church is bound by the fruit of the Spirit and not by any secular or personal agenda or thought process, that we have this this wisdom from God that we need to work together and that we're not splintered or divided Uh, And that perfection, that completion, that maturity only comes when each individual within the body has a united relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Churches will never be strong. They'll never be united and faithful if each individual, unless each person, especially those that are in leadership, are connected in a good relationship with the Lord. And once that takes place, then the other things will come as a result of it. And so Jesus is saying, I am praying that there be this perfection and unity within God's, within your people, within these disciples and those that learn after him, that, that they will be one like us. And, and it's repeated by Jesus over and over. And then in verse 25, I think Jesus is expressing the need to be knowledgeable, to know the Lord personally. And you go back to some of the other things Jesus has said about, you know, God desires the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. It's the the relationship with the Lord that is more valuable than the things we do. In fact, if God has your heart, he has your whole body. You know, you love the Lord, you got with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But we, we begin with, with being impacted emotionally and in the core of our being, the passion of our being that we love God and we want to know him. I want to know the Lord. I want to, you know, my wife and I, when we first became friends, we spent a, a lot of time together at church 
or, uh, you know, at various youth events. There were times that our kids got together and did stuff. And we became such good friends that I, I told my boys one day, I said, I, I really, really like her. I, I really want to get to know her. She's such a nice person. And um, so that friendship that we had blossomed. And sometimes the key, if you want to really grow in a relationship with someone, the key is spending quality time together. It's not about setting together, drinking coffee together, going to church together, or, or, or praying together. It's about building the quality fellowship that when you're together, you're doing spiritual things. That when you're when you're focusing on what God wants both of you to do, it, it creates the unity as a whole. And I think couples will be much more, uh, they'll be stronger and more valuable to their children and to their community and their church if they individually have a great knowledge of who God is and what God wants. I love to hear people saying, you know, I feel led by God to do this. I feel like God has pricked my heart to, to do this or to be part of this mission or this ministry. And that's what happens when you know God. When you know God, when you have a relationship with the Lord, it will impact every part of your life. And so Jesus says, you know, the world didn't know you, Lord. They, they saw me, they learned from me, they knew me, but they didn't know you. But these disciples and those that are within the New Testament church, which he's praying for, know the Lord. It's not just about knowing the Bible. Let me make this clear. It's great to read our Bibles, and it's great to be able to, to come to church and to, to punch the clock. But I remind you that if you truly know God, you are spending quality time, not just in Bible study, but in prayer, in meditation, in action, by shining your light everywhere you go. Do you really know God? Um, I've asked people before, they say, I say, do you know Jesus? And they say, oh yeah, I know Jesus. Of course I do. I have a relationship with the Lord. I talk to God all the time, da, 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 da. I'm like, well, if you really know Jesus, just answer a few questions for me. Because I mean, if you ask me, um, you know, whether it be my favorite actor or my favorite musician or, or even a family member, like even with my wife, if you ask me questions about them, I'm going to know some details. You know, where were they born? Where did they grow up? What kind of food do they like? What kind of... And, you know, we can easily do that if you're spending enough time with someone. Well, some of us have claimed to be Christians for 30, 40 years, and we can't answer basic questions about Jesus. I'm not trying to be harsh. And you say, well, Ray, that's, you know, I, I know a lot about Jesus. Okay. Um, which city did Jesus travel to the most? If you're reading through your Bible, and if you've read the Bible enough, and if you know Jesus well enough, you know that he has some favorite cities that he travels to. What are those cities? Um, when Jesus did travel back and forth to Jerusalem, where did he stay? Where did he sleep? Who did he stay with? How did he meet them? Where's the relationship building there? Um, how did Jesus uh, interact with people personally? You know, what did he say in his prayers? Uh, how many miracles did he perform? How many parables did he tell? How many times did he appear after his death on the cross? These are things that we might know some of the brief details, but do we really know all of the details? Where was Jesus living when he was two years old? Where was Jesus living when he was four years old? It's not just about where Jesus was born. We can get that Bethlehem. We sing about it. We know it. But how much do you really know about Jesus? And that's just the the physical, that's just the personal relationship that we have. Understanding from scripture who Jesus is and what he did while he was on the earth. But what about the father? How well do you know God? 
how well do you know? You know, we have quotes, favorite quotes. People all time put quotes up from individuals, famous things that they said. How much do you know about what God has said, Old Testament and New Testament? How, if you're honest, and God gives a lot of teaching in the Old Testament. How many times have you read through the Bible? How many times have you read through the prophets that prophesied of Jesus' coming and of the establishment of the church? Knowing God is what he desires, knowing him. And then finally, that last verse, verse 6, when he says, you know, I declare to them your name and I'm going to continue to declare it. You know, the love that you've shown me, the love that you've given me is, is now in them. And I love that Jesus is saying the message that I proclaimed is not going to stop when they hang me on the cross. They're going to continue with the torch. They're going to take the baton and they're going to run. And I love what he tells them. He tells them on one occasion here in the Gospel of John, he says, you know, you're going to do greater things than me. You're going to do amazing things when the Holy Spirit comes upon you with power. And Mark's Gospel talks a lot about Jesus's thought process leading up to that moment. He, he and, and Matthew has a good little section of discourses right before he uh, has this moment here in Gethsemane that we're reading about. But Jesus wanted to make sure that the love that he had for his disciples was a love that they shared for one another and a love that they shared for other disciples, for God's people. And so his prayer, remember this is a prayer. Jesus is praying for his church. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's hoping that you and I will become like the disciples in the first century. And like literally Jesus, like him, sharing the gospel message, helping those that are in need and sharing the love of God, the image of God, really. You know, he says, you know, they've seen you through me. That's another part back in chapter 14. But when people see you, they ought to see Jesus. And his prayer is that you accomplish that goal. And so that's what I want to encourage you to think about as we think about prayer is asking God, how can I be better tomorrow than I was today? Who can I impact? Who can I teach? Who can I talk to? How can I uh, be more effective, more intentional in evangelism and visitation and shining my light? Because we have a lost and dying world and they are waiting eagerly to see what God will do for them. And you and I are the answer. We're the part of this prayer. Jesus says they're going to be ready. They're going to get to work. And so we need to know that Jesus believed in us. And we need to believe in ourselves. We got a lot of work to do. So before I close out this podcast, just want to encourage you, spend quality time in prayer. Put it on your put it on your planner. Make it a goal this night, every week. Spend time in prayer with God. Make a list of people that you want to pray about and situations you need to pray for and spend that quality time with God. I promise you, you won't regret it. If you spend quality time with the Lord, he gives you strength and empowerment to help you get through whatever you may face. And so just focus, focus, focus on prayer. Build that relationship with God and pray for other people and encourage people to pray with you. You know, get your prayer group together. Get some, even in a text group, get some people together. Say, hey, could we all be praying about this particular situation or this person? And you put God on the top of your priority list. You put prayer on the top of your priority list. I know the devil's not going to like it, but I'll tell you what, it will give you a, a renewed strength, a renewed comfort and power through the Holy Spirit that you've never seen before. Commune with God. The Bible tells us, John 4, 8, if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Spend quality time with the Lord, not just in an emergency, but every single day. Walk with him, talk with him, grow in him, and be a blessing.
Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.